Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Bill Christie. Follow him at Larry's Locks, too. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter. And we are talking some major championship golf, the second major of 2021, PGA Championship. That is not a COVID change. I'm still getting used <laughs> to it, though. A pre-COVID thing that the PGA opted for to have the PGA Championship in May. And basically from April to July, we get one major a month, the U.S. Open in June, always kind of a Father's Day event normally. And then the... Open Championship at its normal slot in July, but as the last major on the calendar now. Bill, it's good to have you back again. How are you doing? Good to be back. Excited. We've got a great, great major championship coming up here tomorrow. I should say, really not for till Thursday. feels like it's going to be tomorrow. I'm so well, excited for it. Listening, <laughs> say, even though we're recording on a Tuesday night. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, like you said, you mentioned COVID. I feel like we have you know kind of talked that thing to death, but... Uh, it's just been so awesome to see some of these live sports with decent crowds and stuff. And I believe I saw the PJ was saying that at the Ryder Cup, they plan on having uh, full attendance or near full attendance of this, if that's correct. You know, I haven't even gotten that far ahead. Where's the Ryder Cup being held this year? Is that in Wisconsin? I believe so. Whistling Straits? I know that's the big course yeah, there. I think so. I'll okay. take a look for us while okay. we're going. But uh, I do want to ask you too: Has the uh, has that the PGA being the second major? Does that still feel a little weird to you? It kind of does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I'm I'm a traditionalist, you know. I don't like when things change too much, unless it's for like the greater good, I guess you'd say. And you know, I don't think it adds too too much to it. But yeah, it, it always seems a little off with it being number two on the on the season. Yeah, I can't say it bothers me. It just feels yeah. a little weird. I will say, I, I need the Masters in April at being the first one every year, though. Agreed, 100%. <laughs> so, anyway, let's get into it and uh, discuss a little bit about uh, the PGA Championship at Kiowa uh, for the first time since 2012. Uh, before we get into some specifics as far as players we're going to be looking to in the outright market, uh, first-round leaders, matchups, things like that. Um, Bill, I know you had to, some thoughts just on you know handicapping the course, 
and just some kind of general strategy. We did more of this with our master's pod, so we're not going to beat it to death because I can't beat it to death, excuse me, because I can't imagine a lot has changed. But um, just, you know, some broad strokes here to start. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, at least when I'm handicapping golf, uh, you know, I take into consideration where the course is, what what players have done in their previous performances there. And specifically to this one, it being a Pete Dye course, um, you know, I have to look back at players' performances and how they fare at Pete Dye courses in the past. And, you know, we're lucky we get to go a small sample size of it being this season as there's been a few of the uh, of the uh, events already taking place at select Pete Dye courses. Um, you know, and it's a conversation amongst the tour pros all the time. I'm sure we're going to hear about it a lot leading up to the start on Thursday and throughout the tournament. You know, there's guys that absolutely love Pete Dye courses, and there are guys that cannot stand the Pete Dye courses. Um, and this is going to be interesting because it being on American soil, it's going to be, you know, the closest thing you're going to have to a Lynx course probably um, to compare to, you know, conditions outside at the uh, at the open um, and with it being right on the coast, you're going to have some windy conditions. I know I looked up the yeah. weather report and they're saying, you know, some mild gusts and stuff like that, maybe 15 miles an hour, which doesn't seem like much. But, you know, when you're on the coast like that and it only takes, you know, a half a second for a big wind gust to come through. And, you know, as your ball happens to be in the air and it, it can really wreak havoc on on some of these guys, depending on when they're going out on the course uh, each day. So, you know, just looking back at people's past performances, specifically the Pete Dye courses is something I really dove deep into today while I was going through. Um, and for the most part, that that's been the main pieces of my handicap for this tournament, as well as, as always is kind of recent form. You know, you might have a guy who is phenomenal at these Pete Dye courses um, who just has been absolutely abysmal as a recent form, you know what I mean? Like, right. You don't want to just dive into the blindly because, Oh my God, like, like just for instance, I'll give you a quick name, like a Bo Van Pelt. I don't even know if he's in the tournament, um, but it's a name like you don't hear often. So obviously his recent form is in something uh, spectacular. So you're not going to want to just blindly go into it based off of those numbers. Um, but like we said before, you know, more information you can have in the handicapping process, at least in my opinion, it, it's all helpful uh, in some way, shape or form. You know, you've mentioned it a few times, and let's just kind of uh, clear the air, I guess, for the people that are less familiar with the term Pete Dye course. It sounds like a lot of the things you were getting at uh, is, you know, longer courses, as you said, link style. So, uh, you know, traditionally you would think that would lend itself towards bigger hitters, but you mentioned the wind conditions being a factor. Just uh, when when you say the Pete Dye course for the, you know, and I, and I have heard that term, and uh, it's something that isn't foreign to me, but I'm sure it is probably for some people listening, something that they're not as familiar with. So uh, is it just kind of like longer courses that you know have treacherous tee shots, things like that? Yeah, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, and I think what he really went out to accomplish in most of his courses that he um, was the architectural designer for was your approach shots have to mean more. Even though it's 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 an advantage to have that big stick off the tee because typically Pete Dye's fairways are real wide. Um, you don't see guys getting too much trouble there. Um, but he really prided himself on making the course set up for that second shot. You know, you hear this, you hear that, you know, saying all the time. You know, uh, you drive for show, you putt for dough type of thing. Um, and that's kind of you know plays credence here because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for guys that are going to be able to hit that good second shot, that good approach shot um, onto these greens that, you know, I was reading a little bit. I didn't realize this before, but his wife apparently was really, really um, key in designing the greens in at, at this specific course um, to really make it like really look picturesque and stuff. But the, the, the downside to that was like a lot of these greens just fall off. So, like you're hitting a shot into a beautiful looking green, but you know, if you don't hit it in the right spot in that green, see you later. So, you know, guys, yeah, they might be good off the tee uh, and that's an advantage, but if you're not hitting your approach shots uh, tight here, you're going to be uh, having a tough time scoring on this course. And, you know, you look at the par threes, like that, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to what I want to be putting out of some of my plays, but um, in order to, to, to get it tight on all these par threes, 
just on distance alone is difficult. Then when you look at the fact that, you know, you are dealing with these tough greens and then on top of it, you have the wind factor. It's going to play, it's going to wreak havoc for some of these guys. And like I said, you're going to see guys that typically score really well, um, struggle on this course. And you're going to see some guys who are kind of middle of the pack guys that are all of a sudden their name's going to be popping off the top of the leaderboard um, throughout the weekend. So it's exciting though. Cause am I, at the end of the day, like with Pete, with PJ in general, um, I love to see these guys challenged. I can't stand. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, like last week, the winner 20 on. Right? Yeah. Like last week you got guys that are like almost, almost every guy at some point I felt like had a shot to break the course record. Um, you know, and yeah, it's cool. They're all, you know, scoring on it, but I want to see these guys look like me every once in a while on the, on the course, you know <laughs> what I mean? Where, you know, they're blowing off a tee shot and losing it left or losing it right, whatever it may be. Um, you know, because they're pros at the end of the day, they should be able to handle all this stuff. So that's why I always love the U.S. Open because uh, that's always one oh, of the yeah. tough ones. Right. And speaking of U.S. Opens, uh, they're talking about the the um, the rough with this one being built up a little bit. So you know, even though they're wide fairways, you missed a fairway, they're going to be penalizing you for it with the with the high rough. So it's going to be challenging for sure. You know, one other thing that you mentioned there that I think is relevant to the handicap. You mentioned how approach shots are very crucial on these style of Pete Dye courses. And so I think that's also where, when we talk about the information battle, I shouldn't say battle because maybe this isn't, you know, to, to people that handicap golf, it's, it's a pretty common step. But again, if you're just kind of looking to do some quick 15, 20 minute research on stuff, I think the strokes gain stuff is really some of the more important uh, data that you can find and have access to because more importantly that stuff while there's you know strokes gained for the whole round in general you can also find it filtered down to off the tee approach and on the green and and from a gambling standpoint that's really where i think you can find you know the the right value plays and, and kind of the the bread and butter of a certain golf course is you know okay well this guy might not be great off the tee or maybe he's not even the best with the flat stick but right if he's going to be playing if he's a good iron player and if he's going to be sticking it on the green enough to give him birdie chance after birdie chance on a course that is designed towards that approach shot again right. specifically looking at the strokes gained on the approaches like the players that thrive well there would kind of match up well with that course so i think that's important just to try and match up some of the data with the course yeah, and, and one thing that I didn't mention that I want to real quick, um, you know, we talk about scoring a lot. This is going to be a little bit different. Again, it's similar to the U.S. Open. A big piece of my handicap on this as well was bogey avoidance. It's not going to necessarily be guys that are going out sure. there and scoring, scoring, scoring. It's guys that are minimizing the damage out there. Guys that are, you know, hitting their tee shot and they're getting that scrambling. second cut maybe with a Rafi and they're scrambling. Instead of trying to go for the green, all right, I'm going to lay up here. Uh, you know, I'm going to make myself have an easy look coming in, you know, a much easier putt because – you know, and we'll get into it later. I'm, you know, we're both kind of fading some of the similar guys, and I'm sure we're, you know, fading them for the same reasons. Um, guys that tend to be a little too aggressive and are trying to score too early. You know, you're, you're not going to win a tournament on, on Thursday or uh, or Friday, but you can certainly lose a tournament on right. Thursday or Friday. So let's jump right into some of our buys and fades. And real quick before we get into some names, Bill, I'm curious how you differentiate we kind of talked a little bit about this with the masters when it comes to how you want to play your buys and how you want to fade your fades because there are so many options when it comes to betting on golf and i think for that reason like yeah more often than not if i have a guy i like i'm gonna take his outright price just because you know, 40 to one, 51, whatever. Like I'm getting a big price. If it's a guy I like and he wins the thing, absolutely. But there are certainly other ways to attack players you like or players you don't like when it comes to the options offered at a book. And one thing that we talked about with the Masters, I believe it was specifically, and I don't think this one worked out for me, but uh, I was liking Sergio going into Augusta and I while I did not, you know, he didn't play that well. One thing that I think I did get right, even though he didn't play well, was just the fact that I knew full well the whole time that I wasn't going to use him in matchups despite liking him because he was a high variance type guy. And he mm -hmm. was somebody that I wanted to say, okay, 
I think it was like 65 to one or something. I'll take him as a big price on an outright ticket. Maybe look at him at a plus price in a top 10, top 20 type ticket. But when it comes to the matchups and when you're laying standard juice or sometimes, you know, bigger than minus a dollar 10, that was where I didn't want to play Sergio because I know that that variance isn't worth laying juice with. So I'm just curious when it comes to your handicapping strategy, how do you try and, you know, do you, do you have specific guys that you like who you only like in certain bets, even though you, you just like their game for the course or for the event in general? And conversely, do you have guys that you might fade maybe just to miss the cut because, you know, you're, you're taking the price and, and knowing full well that they might be a factor on Sunday, but, and so you're not getting too involved in the matchups that way and just looking at them in a cut prop. Like, how do you look at some of that stuff, given all the options? So it's funny. You hit a lot of it um, in an indirect way, I guess I'd say. For the matchups, to me personally, um, I feel like they're the ones to where I'm actually going to uh, lay a decent number on, you know, maybe a two unit, maybe even a three. I don't think I've ever put a five unit on any of any of my golf plays um, in the past because uh, it's not worth the risk, really. You know, I mean, I think for the most part, um, for the most part, I believe uh, you know, it's value based, right? Like there's just so much potential value in these golf tournaments. You said like, the prices you can get for you know, make it innocent cuts, the prices you can get for uh, a specific round leader for obviously winning the tournament that you can get some really, really good prices on guys that you like, and you don't have to risk that much money. Um, right. You know, and, and look, I don't want to kind of uh, contradict myself when I've said before about like playing parlays and stuff like that at crazy odds, because you need to win so much. And I get it. Like the chances of your one guy taking, you know, the lead in this round or winning the tournament overall, it's, it's not as, easy as it is to be said but you know you can risk a very very small amount you know and i'm talking like a tenth of a unit if you want um on some guys that have ridiculous value like guys that are 100 to 1 um for specific things and you know you spread that out amongst five guys so you're risking a half a unit just to have some interest across the board on a bunch of guys for a round or for the whole tournament like to me that's what that's where there's a lot of value um, because all you have to do is hit one of those every once in a while and boom, all of a sudden you're making a decent amount of profit on it. Um, but if I'm looking for a specific play in terms of, um, you know, I want to, I want to put a little bit on it. I'm going to play a matchup and I'm going to play a matchup only if I like, obviously the guy I'm, I'm taking, if I'm, if I got a guy that I'm, I'm fading against as well, if that matchup is available to me, that's phenomenal. And like you mentioned, if the price is good, I'm not, I don't want to risk 150 even if I'm fading a guy and I'm actually buying the other guy, like I don't, I don't want to get in that position because it's not worth it because of what you said. It's one round typically that you're doing that, um, or they could both just have really good outings for the whole tournament, and all of a sudden you lose by a stroke or, or what have you, and you know it doesn't seem worth it in that respect. So yeah, for the ones that I'm really, really confident, in, I'm going to take a matchup on, and for the ones that I'm, you know, just looking at value based, they're the ones that I'm taking throwing the darts on, you know, for the round leaders or for um, winning the tournament overall specifically. Yeah, and that's well said. And I agree with a lot of what you said. And and, and I think you're right. Like, as far as, like, the more confident plays is where you want to look to match up. So I think just a general rule of thumb when I'm looking at handicapping a golf event, I will tend to the first five, six choices in the outright market – Obviously, has there been a tournament here or there where I have actually played the outright price? Yes, but and we'll get more into the specifics of this tournament. But a Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth, I, I just think you're better off using those guys in matchups anyway, because for the most part, I, you, you're going to have to take a stand against some of the guys at the top anyway. It's right. You know, you're realistically speaking, a final round leaderboard is not going. The top five are not going to be the top five choices that a book is setting in the outright market. This is not how it goes. But at the same time, you know, and so for that reason, I think that's where the matchups bring some value because if you like a Rory or you like a Spieth, then you probably don't like a Rom or you probably don't like a DJ or you probably don't like a Bryson, and you can get those, you know, the Rory or the Spieth. In that example, you know, at a minus a dollar ten, or maybe even a plus price on attorney matchup against those guys, I just think I'd rather go head to head with the guys at the top I like against the guys at the top I don't like, rather than play 
the guys at the top I like in the outright prices. And, and conversely, I won't play the guys at the top that I don't like to miss the cut that often because I might just be throwing my money away. So I, I think that the matchups are, generally speaking, with the guys at the top of the outright market, I, I just like to play the matchups just in general. Yeah, I think it's well said. So let's get into it with some buys and fades for the PGA Championship. Uh, Bill, I'll let you start, uh, and uh, we're going to pinball back and forth here. A little more similarities as far as the fades, but um, you like a few Americans uh, off the bat with Webb Simpson and Matt Kuchar. I'll let you cover them both here. Yeah, again, just going through the handicapping process, um, some of the things I looked at, I'll just spit them out real quick. You, you mentioned a lot of them, the strokes gained and the approach, strokes gained uh, around the green, uh, tee to green. Um, some spe- specific ones uh, in accordance with the Pete Dye courses, especially this one, par fours gained on 450 to 500 yarders um, just because there's so many of them on this course, sure. um, as well as far away, fairways gained, like we mentioned, because that's going to help the approach shots. Um, and then proximity from 200 yards plus because kind of goes hand in hand with your par fours gained from 450 to 500. Chances are you're going to be about 200 yards out on the approach shots. Those guys that are hitting it tight are going to be the guys that are going to be um, successful. I obviously I mentioned uh, bogey avoidance is a big piece of my handicap on this tournament um, as well as uh, previous performance in peak dive courses. And the one name that came out in the top I'd say 10 in almost every single category is Webb Simpson. Um, he, he's been playing decent this year. I wouldn't say he's been playing phenomenal lights out, but um, the fact that he just fell into all those categories time after time after time when I was going through this, I, I feel obligated to buy him. Um, he's got a lot of value as far as uh, like around, around one liter. Um, and the reason I would play him as around one liter uh, would be because the fact that he is – fourth in the tour as far as round one scoring averaging a uh, 69 score so i can get him at 50 to one um as a round one leader i think there's great value there uh, he's also i see him at 45 to one i believe it was on draft kings uh to win the tournament so again two different darts on him that i really really like that i'll likely be playing um so he's yeah, one of the americans this just seems to be like we talk about this a lot with our college basketball pod when it comes to you know, buttoned up teams and programs that never really take games off. Like, I feel like Simpson is one of those guys on the PGA Tour where it's like, oh, there's Webb Simpson again. Like, yeah, he's not necessarily always going to be in it on the in the final in the back nine on Sunday, but he rarely is going to embarrass himself. Yeah. And I would say the only time he has recently was the players. He missed the cut in the players. Um, he finished, I think it was two over. So, I mean, there, but then he followed it up. He's been strong in the Masters. He finished 12th in RBC Heritage recently. He finished ninth. Um, and like you said, like his name is always seems to be uh, at the top. Oh, and the one other thing, I'm sorry. I can't believe I forgot to mention this, uh, that I took into account with handicapping, which I always do, is the course history um, and tournament history. So like when you look at that piece of it and you look back past uh, the few years, I mean, Webb was in the top. 30 in 2013, 16, 18, 19. I mean, he's constantly up there within the PGA Championship. So, you know, he's got that going for him. He's got all the stats going for him. So all those things considering, he's definitely going to be a heavy buy for me. Yeah, you know, I think the one thing about the tournament history that a buddy of mine made a good point, he said that the PGA might be the hardest uh, handicap just as far as tournament history and how to value it because obviously the masters is at the same course every year. And then you look at, you know, you mentioned it, Bill, in the very open of this podcast, the U S open, we know that the USGA has a tendency to really want to challenge the golfers and they want that winning score at, you know, as a matter of fact, it was Webb Simpson at the Olympic club almost a decade ago on the West coast that won it one over. And, and they want that score right around par or, or, you know, something like that. They, we know that the U S open has a reputation for being a very challenging major as far as scoring is regarded regardless of the course and then the the pga championship has always kind of been that open link style and so you know my buddy was saying like well the pga is kind of a mix of everything year to year so um i think that's interesting as far i'm not saying that the tournament history is irrelevant but i think it it can be a little harder to read no absolutely And, and part of that is i went back all the way to 2012 because 2012 was the last time that it was at uh, this venue and you have a lot of guys that have been playing uh, in the tournament 
2012 all the way up until present time. Um, you know, it's not a American that you mentioned, but a guy that I'm, I'm pretty high on uh, is Adam Scott. Adam Scott finished tied for 11th back in 2012. Uh, and since then, I mean, it's pretty incredible what he's done. I'll go reverse. 2020, he was tied for 22nd. 2019, he was tied for 8th. 2018, he finished 3rd. Uh, so, like, he's constantly up there in the 13, 14, 16. He finished in the top five, top 15, top 18. He's a guy that just kind of seems to pop up during majors, right? Like, in, in spots where he's comfortable at, like, <laughs> you don't hear from him almost all year. It seems like an all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, Adam Sky is a really good player. Uh, must be a major. You know, it's almost like how Brooks kind of just <laughs> right. comes alive at some of these majors. So, he, he's another guy that I look at that I really, really like in regards to um, previous performance on Pete Dye courses and as well as what he's done uh, here at uh, at the PGA Championship specifically. Real quick before I jump in on some of my guys, I want to let you, I, I believe I mentioned Kuchar. Uh, what do you have on him? Uh, yeah, Kuchar, uh, I like him as well. Again, he's another name. Um, he he, he kind of came out of nowhere last tournament, you know, and again, everybody kind of played well last tournament, I guess you could say. Um, but Kuchar's a guy who um, has played well in the past. Now, he wasn't, he didn't come inside the number back in 2012, but, you know, he's got, let's see, 2013, he finished tied for 22nd, 15, he finished 7th, uh, 17th, he finished 9th, 19, he finished 8th. Um, so he's kind of been in the mix in the PGA Championship a lot. Uh, he's another name that came up a lot when I was looking back um, at guys that play well within Pete Dye courses. I have a thing here where it kind of says strokes gained. Um, when he's playing at Pete Dye courses, I guess, in comparison to any other course. And you know, 2.839, he's gaining strokes, which is good enough for one, two, three, four. He's top five um, as far as uh, strokes gain on Pete Dye courses. So when I factor that into it, I, I got to like Cooch there. He's a guy, again, you mentioned somebody like a button-up guy. Like He very rarely hurts himself, which, again, kind of plays into this style here. He's not going to be a guy that's going to go out there and try and score, 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 score. You know, he's kind of happy with being, okay, let me go par all the way through. If I throw in two, three birdies here, fantastic. He might have a spot where, wow, he's got a long putt or something like that, or he's got a really tough shot here, chip. Um, it looks like he can make double here, but he's going to chip it really tight and have a tap-in bogey. As Not as you know sexy as that sounds, that's something that's going to be a huge positive uh, this weekend. So, yeah, Kuchar's the other – uh, American, I think that I gave out here. Yeah, so Cooch and Simpson, the rest of my guys, I think are all the Europeans. Yeah, and so I let me uh, allow me to uh, transfer or transition into a couple of Europeans that I like, uh, and uh, namely, uh, I want to jump in with Matt Wallace as far as a sleeper guy that has done very well on the European tour. My book was hanging 150 to one on him. I, I, I believe FanDuel is at triple digits on him as well. Uh, inside the top 10 on strokes gained on approach and strokes gained tee to green overall. So uh, we talked about the approach shots being pretty crucial here. Five of the top six finishers in the 2012 PJ Championship at Kiowa were Europeans. So I think that the comfort with the Euro Tour courses might lend itself towards Europeans doing well at Kiowa and I mentioned Wallace having a pretty good season the course might suit him well he's a four-time winner in his career on the European tour and lastly he finished third in at Bethpage Black in 2019 at the PGA Championship so uh, you know that obviously a very long and treacherous course as well uh, and one other point you mentioned the par four efficiency on those Four, uh, 450 to 500 yard part fours. Uh, Wallace was is 13th, tied for 13th in par four efficiency. So he should have a chance at to, uh, some looks at birdies on some of those longer par fours that other golfers don't. I think the Englishman is live at that price. And then another guy that I am very intrigued by. Uh, actually, well, this is I'm going to give an American now, uh, and it's Daniel Berger uh, coming in at. Uh, obviously a much shorter price, 35 to one. Uh, but Berger and Jordan Spieth are the only golfers this season averaging two strokes gained or better per round. So it's no surprise to see that Berger is in the top 25 in strokes gained off the tee approach and putting. Like he's just a completely well-rounded golfer that looks prime for a breakthrough. And I think that that part I mentioned about the PGA championship course handicap being a little bit 
tricky when it comes to not really knowing what you're getting with the course because it's not consistent from year to year. I think that has resulted in some breakthroughs at the PGA Championship. I think Berger has a real good chance to be in the mix on Sunday. Finished third last week at the Byron Nelson event. 12 cuts in 14 events uh, on the PGA Tour season this year. So I definitely am interested in him. Uh, I'll, I'll keep going real quick. Um, how about Abraham answer? I've got him at 50 to one. No finishes outside the top 30 in his last eight starts. Uh, runner up at Quail Hollow, fifth at Innisbrook. Those are his last two starts. Um, I think he's worth a look in matchups. Uh, first round leader. I, like he might be my favorite one, just as far as the prices you're getting. You, you can get him top 10 at like four to one or better. Uh, he's been quasi-competitive at majors, so it's not like he's a complete stranger toward you know competing on moving day and Sundays at majors. 13th at the Masters in 2019, 16th at the PGA Championship at Bethpage in 2019, and you can you know and those are two top 20 finishes. You can still get him at plus money um, to finish in the top 20. So those are a few of my guys. Uh, I, I do have a few more. Uh, but I want to send it back to you if you have a few more that you want to wrap up on. And if you want to spitball on anything I said about my guys, feel free. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really look too much at most of your guys. Berger, obviously, is a guy that's always kind of been playing well. Um, he's one guy that I made me hold off on one of the matchups that I looked at. I was looking at Webb because I'm so high on him. Um, but the one matchup I did find him, he was matched up against Berger. I don't like that. Um, they both, again, could play very, very well. I could lose by a stroke, and I don't want to have to deal with the embarrassment of hearing uh, you talk about you touting Berger while I was tired <laughs> Webb, and I end up losing on a matched up there. So I don't want to do that. Um, but real quick, I'll just give out some, some of my other uh, guys that I like as far as uh, value, uh, guys to win it. Look, I, I hate giving chalky stuff, but I think Rory – Look, if you're a guy who loves golf and you love Rory and you have no problem laying a decent amount of money down or, you know, a, a couple units, go for it. I mean, his his track record at Pete Dye courses, what he did winning it in 2012, his recent form, like it all kind of lines up. So I don't have a problem with somebody doing that. Will I do it? No. Um, I mentioned Hovland, 22 to 1. You can get him to win. Webb, again, 45 to 1. Uh, but the darts I like taking to win it. Rose, 100 to 1. Jason Day, 125. I found on Bet Online. Um, and then round one is where I really like to take uh, some risks on. I know I told you about a couple of tournaments ago with, with Lefty being the round one leader. I got him at 125 mm-hmm. to 1. Uh, I was lucky enough to hit him a couple of tournaments ago. And there's three guys that really stick out to me. I mentioned Webb um, being the one at 50 to one because of his round one scoring. The other two guys I really like with, uh, good numbers in round ones is, uh, Emiliano Grillo. Uh, he's a hundred to one. He's ninth, uh, on tour in round one scoring and Sergio, who's the guy I know you, uh, talk about a lot and, you know, the high variance with it, but all I need is the first round to be a good one. 80 to one. He's tied for 14th in round one scoring. Um, so those three guys I think are totally worth throwing a dart on. Um, to be your round one leader. Kucher is out there well at 100 to 1. Kisner at 150 to 1. There's some other names out there that are, I think, worthy of it. Um, and then, you know, obviously we're going to get into it a little bit more with some of the other guys that we like in matchups and stuff like that. And uh, just so I can get off my Web love train here, uh, I'll give my last play with Web. Uh, I mentioned bogey <laughs> avoidance, right? He, he is the number one on tour in bogey avoidance. He's only 11.3% of the time he makes a bogey on a hole. Right, so that's 94 bogeys he has on 828 holes he's played this year. Um, so the fact that you can get him, I believe this is on FanDuel. I didn't see it anywhere else for a bogey-free round um, throughout the entire tournament. So you know, I'm, I'm expecting him to play all four rounds. You can get him at plus 550 uh, for any round, and then if you want to take him for round one as bogey-free, which is I think the best value of that, you can get him at 27 to one. Um, again, he's a guy that's not going to be going out there trying to score. He's going to be just avoiding these bogeys and, you know, a bogey-free round. That's what you need to do is avoid those bogeys. So uh, I like him in a couple of those spots. And I'm assuming we're going to get into some fades here, and I'll kind of hand it back over to you to start us off with those guys. Yeah, real quick, I do want to finish, run through a few more of my buys. Um, you talked about Rory being kind of your favorite guy amongst the uh, chalky selections. I, I'm I'm there with Xander Shoffley. And probably will look at him 17 to one in that neighborhood as uh, I'm looking at on my book right now. I got 20 to one. And I think that 
he's coming in pretty hungry after that embarrassment. I think it was 16 uh, at Augusta where, I mean, realistically, I mean, Matsuyama shot one over the final round. I mean, mm-hmm. it was there for sure. The door was open for Xander and he just uh, could not quite walk through. Obviously, it was pretty cool seeing Matsuyama get his first major, but uh, certainly I think a guy as consistent as Shawley, uh, and he has obviously come back and looked like his normal self. He's only played a few events since the Masters, but it doesn't seem like there's been any hangover of sorts. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I since last year's Masters, by the way, in November, top 20 and nine out of 11 events. So uh, I think he's just a consistent beast that is continually going to put himself in the mix on Sunday and sooner or later, he's going to win a major. So he'd probably be my favorite guy. I just, I like the kind of emotional, like motivational, like hungry angle that I, I'm drumming up mm-hmm. there with him having come so close at Augusta. And then a couple other guys. Um, I'll start with just a real, another long shot. I like Charlie Hoffman got him at 175 to one, six top twenties and last eight starts for Hoffman. Veteran with good pedigrees at majors, top 20s in his career at the Masters and the U.S. Open, as well as the Open Championship. For whatever reason, he hasn't done as well at the PGA Championship, but his strokes gain numbers in 2021 have been pretty good. So I think uh, Charlie Hoffman is definitely worth a dart throw. And then lastly, as far as my buys, you know, you met, you talked a lot about Webb, and we mentioned the guys that just seem to go out there and you know, shoot 71, shoot 70, <laughs> you know, do that enough to where they're in the mix or you're at least seeing them, you know, CBS or whoever has the coverage on a Saturday, you know, they're at least showing these guys and they're in the second page of the leaderboard or something. That's kind of how I feel about Mark Leishman. And yeah. the Aussie, I think is definitely worth a look at. I got him at, excuse me, 60 to one. And, He's a, the one thing I really liked in doing some research is that he doesn't hit the ball too high off the tee. And so he's hitting it low to the ground. We talked about the windy conditions. I think it's the lower you're hitting off the tee, probably the better that right. is for this weekend at Kiowa. Leishman, to my point about how he just kind of is always there on Saturday and Sundays, even though he hasn't won a major, top 20 at every major in his career – and his best finish was at the Open Championship when he lost that playoff to Zach Johnson back in 2015. So definitely a guy that I think, uh, given the conditions and, uh, you know, his pedigree at the majors will be in the mix. Yeah, I always like Leash. Um, I'm not armed for this one, but look, I would never bet against Leishman, honestly, for exactly what you said. Let's wrap up and, as you said, uh, talk about some of the fades that we're looking at for the PGA Championship this weekend. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've kind of hinted at it throughout the podcast. And one thing that we like to do whenever we're talking golf on this podcast, even if we're not investing in the guys at the top, we're obviously going to address them and give us give you some thoughts. And I mentioned it. I like Shoffley. Bill likes Rory. But I think we're in agreement as far as some of the other guys at the top. When it comes to fading the big hitters, I am not going to find myself that high on Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, or Bryson DeChambeau this weekend. And, you know, I'll see how they go. And obviously, they're the type of guys that put a round together, put another good round together. Things could totally change. And, you know, maybe you use them in a round three matchup or something like that. And that's the beauty of betting golf is that you do have round plays too, where you, you can kind of watch how the round plays out and, and move forward accordingly. But uh, it just doesn't seem like, even though it's a long course, 7,900 yards, not the type of course where, as you mentioned, Bill, you're going to just be able to bomb the ball off the tee and, you know, have a hundred yards to the green or something like it just doesn't seem like those kinds of hitters that take a lot of risks mm-hmm. are going to be able to fare that well. You talked about how important the approach shots are, and that's really where my concern would come for some of these big hitters is when you have these high-risk strategies, you know, it can often result in some big numbers. And you mentioned bogey avoidance. Well, how yep. about double and triples where all of a sudden you're dropping five spots on the leaderboard or whatever on one hole? And that's my concern here with these guys. I, I just – think that the guys that take too many risks on a course like this with the wind could find themselves 
in some trouble even to just make the cut on Friday. So kind of lumping them all together there. But I think the handicap is the same as far as where these guys are priced and my level of interest really not matching that at all. So I, I will be uh, kind of standing against DJ Rahm and Bryson. Yeah, and I'm with you on for sure two of them, and, and DJ and Bryson. DJ, I, I mean, I feel like I haven't even watched him play at all this year. Um, and then Bryson on the other side, look, he almost missed the cut recently. You know, we had the story about him flying back to Texas. Yeah. And, you know, midway through the flight, he found out he still made the cut. You know, and, and in tournaments like that, okay, yeah, you, you can afford to make those mistakes and have a, a bad couple of rounds and still sneak by in the cut. Like, you're not going to have that here. If you make these kind of mistakes on this type of course, you're going to be in deep, deep trouble from the get-go. And, and that's what worries me, like you just said, about those heavy hitters. Um, and I'm going to throw in there another one who can bond the ball off the tee but has not looked himself whatsoever this season. And that's, and that's Brooksy Kepka. I mean, he just, he almost seems like a shell of himself. Um, and I don't think he's going to be playable at all in this tournament. The fact that he can only get him at plus 150 to miss the cut to me is saying a lot about where the books are valuing him. And I, I don't think they're valuing, valuing him um, at all. And I think you mentioned, uh, you know, before we got on here, what was the price you saw? 50 or 55 to one to yeah, win? Yeah, like 50 or 55 to one. That's why, like, I first saw that and thought, oh, wow, like two-time PGA champion, two-time right. U.S. Open champion. I, I, and I just I, – I made a note of it in my notes getting ready for the pod because it was like, all right, I want to talk about this. I want to see what Bill has to say. I'm not necessarily playing it blindly, but I, I'd be lying if I said it didn't perk my interest. And so now yeah. hearing you, uh, you know, give him out as a fade kind of does make me steer clear. Yeah, and look, Brooks is the type of guy where you're like, okay, well, it's going to be a, a major. He's going to turn it around, right? We, we just saw what happened in the Masters. He missed the cut in the Masters. He right. Five over, two over and three over. So, I mean, and again, not this is a – that the Masters in Augusta is a Pete Dye course, but it's a course where, oh, it's a long, you know, guys are long with the tee, have an advantage. He thought he had an advantage. He's a Masters guy. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, major. He's a majors guy. You know, Brooks is a majors tournament player, right? Like, he's a guy who could potentially have two bad outings prior to a major, and people are like, oh, I don't know about Brooks. And all of a sudden, he comes in a major and he just dominates. Like, that's not him right now. Like, something isn't right with his body. I think he needs to take time off. Um, not well, you know, and that's the point. Like, I knew that he was having some physical problems. And I think what you started that statement by in saying that he kind of has had these events where, like, he comes in not playing that well. But if there weren't any kind of physical limitations, he kind of always knew that the game was yeah. in him to find it again. And that maybe is the concern here that I, if he's not 100 percent, like, I don't know that I'm just going to be able to find, you know, take Kepka counting on him finding his game again. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's the reason why I'd be fitting him. The other two I want to give out real quick uh, is Sung J M, who I usually love, um, but he's kind of let me tout a lot recently. I mean, he finished a 13 over at the Masters, which is abysmal. Um, he seems to be a type of guy where if he struggles a little bit, he can implode pretty quickly. Um, One of those high variance guys. Exactly, yeah. and like we talk about, this type of course, you can't be that type of player. The other guy that I'm fading, I'm fading until, I don't know, it might be fading him the rest of his career, to be honest with you, unless he turns it around at some point. Uh, and that's Ricky. Ricky Fowler is yeah. abysmal. Um, what did you think about the special exemption stuff that was out there? And you think he was, you know, no, no opinion on it or didn't deserve it, fine with it? Uh, if I can make money off of it, I don't mind it, right? <laughs> but <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, in general, I think it's kind of BS. I don't think it's fair to the other guys that are you know trying to sure. make the make those positions and make those tournaments. He's been he's been awful. There's there's just no way around it. Even in a tournament where like okay, he can get his legs back in last week, right? Because it's like a course where everybody can score on, and he did. Like don't get me wrong, he scored, but he still didn't make it. Like. Like, that should have been the chance for him to really go out there and blow the course away and get back on track, and he's done nothing but the opposite. So, I mean, as long as he's out there and there's a price on him uh, to fade him on, you know, either missing the cut or betting against him on matchups, I'm doing it until he finally figures it out. And to me, honestly, I don't see it being anytime soon. Yeah, it, it is crazy to think that, uh, it, it was, he, you know, he was right there. I mean, for a while, the first guy everybody would say when it comes to who's the best player that hasn't won a major. Yeah. And, you know, it just, um, for one reason or another, you know, I, I think the thing that I keep coming back to when you see these guys struggle and really before Rory won, he, he was, 
not having a good season is just how humanizing the sport is. And uh, you mentioned it earlier, Bill, is how you want to see these guys sometimes look like you out there. And and I, I think more so than any other sport, golf is where that can happen. I mean, you know, you're not going to see Aaron Rodgers just throw the ball right to the guy on the other team. or it, It's very rare, you know, and, and yeah. things like that. But you are going to see what's happening to Fowler is not that uncommon when it comes to guys just falling off a cliff and, um, you, you know, you're out there by yourself and, you know, it just, um, it, it's crazy when you think about the trajectories of some of these guys, uh, that, that aren't able to stay at the top. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, and it's kind of as simple as that when it comes to, like you said, like probably just somebody that I'm going to be fading the rest of my career, the rest of his career. And, until he proves you otherwise, I'm not really going to disagree with that. As far as a couple other fades that I have, Kevin Na, he's just not been striking the ball well. He has lost strokes off the tee and on the approach in six straight events. So, you know, that's obviously not good uh, coming into a long course like this. And then Patrick Cantlay. I mean, I, I don't – It's it, you mentioned it a little bit with Kepka as far as, you know, where he's priced and, 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 and you're just not as interested. I don't really know what's going on with Cantley, but like he's priced right now, like bet online's at 45 to one on him. And for example, some other guys that we've talked about that are in that price range, Webb Simpson, 40 to one on bet online, Abraham answer 45 to one at bet online, you yeah. know? So, you know, and, Will's out Taurus, by the way, is 55 to one. We didn't talk about him, but he just obviously had a really good showing at the Masters. Uh, you know, I mentioned Leishman at north of 60 to one. Like all guys that I just have a little more confidence in right now than Cantley, who I like and have always been waiting for a breakthrough on. But yeah. look at what he's done recently. And, and you talk about recent form, miscut right. players, miscut Masters, miscut RBC Heritage, miscut Wells Fargo at yep. Quail Hollow. So, I mean, ugly. Ugly, and and again, you're talking about someone like 45 to one is not a long price to win a tournament, you know, especially a major. So um, I don't know what's going on, but I, I don't think that the betting market has adjusted accordingly yeah. here. Um, I, I mean, maybe a slight adjustment because perhaps normally you would see Cantlay closer up on the outright market in the 20s to one or 30 to one, but he's been missing a lot of cuts. He's losing strokes with the putter doesn't feel yeah. like a guy I want any part of. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we find out in, in the near future that he's got an injury that really hasn't been spoken too much about. Because if this doesn't seem like, you don't just fall off like this out of nowhere. Like, he's a guy who I feel like, you just mentioned how Ricky was like, oh, he's the, one of the best players without a major. Like, I feel like he was kind of becoming into that mix of when you started to talk about when Justin Thomas was coming up and when Jordan Spieth was coming up, those sure. younger guys that were like, okay, this is going to be the next generation. These like Cantley was starting to fall in that category where I felt like, okay, he's going to push it through and he's going to become those. I'm going to give you a name that I feel like he's starting to fall back to. And that's a guy like Ryan Moore. Uh, you know, Ryan Moore was kind of in that realm for a while. Okay. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. He's right there. He's right there. And all of a sudden it's like, where'd he go? You know, him, him and like Hunter Mahan, two guys that were like, Oh my God, these guys are going to be revolutionizing the game in a few years. They're the next generation, and, and there's like there's nothing, you know. And I hope I hope that's not what happens to Cantley, but it wouldn't shock big, me. And it's a bigger name, Bill, and it's somebody that has won majors in the past. But I think just to put a button on the whole conversation, like look at Jordan Spieth's last five six years. I mean, yeah. like he comes into the sport and in. 15, you know, and he should have won back-to-back majors. He wins the green jacket, I think it was 15. And then 16, he makes the 1-7, and uh, I think it was Willett, the Englishman, ends up winning. Yeah. And, you know, of course, DJ had the bad three-putt at Chambers Bay at U.S. Open, and and that gave Spieth another major. But point being, like, Guy was, like, the next thing. Like, when it came to the next-gen guys, he was at the forefront of every conversation. And obviously, as we know, recently before I think he won down in San Antonio or somewhere around Easter. But before mm -hmm. that, you know, it was ugly for him and, and it just didn't quite come together. And, and he looks to have found his game again. But I, I think it's just a reminder with this sport that, you know, you got to seize your opportunities when you're at the top like that. And specifically with the guys that haven't won the majors before, you know, you mentioned Fowler and, and, and 
maybe we can't, you know, I, I like softly this week. Like maybe we can't just count on these guys to continue to be there at every single major point being is getting good and staying good in any sport is challenging, but in a sport like golf, where you got to put four good rounds together, especially at these majors where we know the fields are very deep and it seems like there's always a, another guy. I mean, we haven't talked about Morikawa at all on this podcast. Like there's always mm-hmm. another kind of young guy that's coming in that is yeah. tearing it up. Like, yeah, I mean, you then you look at a guy like a Fowler or, you know, Cantley by no means is at that point yet, but, and you realize, oh, well, now these guys are in their early 30s, mid 30s, mm-hmm. whatever, and they still haven't won. What happened? And the women, you know, that's what happened, Greg. Every time these guys <laughs> get a girlfriend, or all of a sudden they're in long time relationships and they're, they're getting married, they fall off. Women take your legs, right? What was that like, <laughs> was that Rocky? Is that a Rocky quote? Women take your legs or right. something like that? Yeah, like, I honestly, so, yeah. I'm gonna, I, after we're done tonight and I have some time, I'm going to look up some of these names we talked about and I'm going to link together when they started to have these relationships or when they got <laughs> married and when they started falling off. Because I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of them that are in there. Could be so coincidence. Could be conspiracy. I don't know. It's funny you mention that because don't you remember at the Masters, everybody, like one of the top stories that oh. going – was John Robb just had a kid. Yeah. He's got the green jacket for his little yeah. kid. And I, I wasn't really feeling that. <laughs> no, I mean, I have to. I know what the hell it feels like for that first couple of weeks after you have a kid. You get no now, sleep. There's no way he's in prime form. Right. <laughs> there he is, Bill Christie. You know him as Lucha Larry on gambling Twitter. At Larry's Vox 2. I'm Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg. Been a lot of fun. Uh, I think the golf, again, is always a little different. Uh, but uh, with the, when it comes to the options available and some of the big prices, it certainly creates for some fun enjoyment. And let's hope some of these uh, outright tickets are live coming in the weekend. So a lot of fun, and uh, we'll certainly be chatting. Absolutely. And I'll be posting all my stuff out there um, for free with the, with this one. Uh, with golf, like you said, it's just there's just so much fun to be had. There's so many long shot stuff. And then, you know, he also get the live stuff like I'll I'll play some, you know, some small plays on the next two, three holes of guys are going to birdie or bogey or sure. head to head. It's just it just makes the, the viewing experience fun, you know, um, but there's a lot of value out there. I'll be sure to put it out there to everybody. And if you get a chance. Um, I play the day. I started doing that a couple last week. Uh, finished five and two last week. We're one and zero on this week so far. Only five bucks. So shoot me a follow. Get my, get me on the DMs there. Try and get the play of the day. I'll be happy to give it out to you. Five bucks for the play of the day. Um, decent value all around on those ones. So Greg, thanks for having me as always. Looking forward to a great golf weekend. Likewise, my dude. He's Bill Christie. Like I said, at Larry's Locks Two on Gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank. At Undercover Greg, follow the podcast as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your weeks. Enjoy the PGA Championship. And of course, please play responsibly. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.